Welcome to the Home Service Small Business Spotlight. I am your host, Arthur Yan, co-founder and CEO of Nest Protection Plan. We partner with restorers, contractors, real estate professionals, and other entrepreneurs to increase their revenue, grow their business valuation, and help them build a platform of services for homeowners across the country. We think every American family and property owner deserves peace of mind for their health, indoor living, and longevity, all for less than a dollar a day. Also, I love forming relationships. Add me on Facebook or LinkedIn today and let's connect. Oh, and stick around to the end of this episode. We'll reveal how you or someone you know can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Here we go. Hey, how's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of the Home Service Small Business Spotlight. This is episode 43, and I'm your host, Arthur Yan. We are very, very excited, as we always are. Um, We've got two guests today on the show, and uh, they are really, really um, excited to be here. We're going to talk about uh, some of the stuff they've been doing to help businesses. They help business startups. Uh, They're authors. They're also professors at the Indiana University at the School of Business there. They're doctors Kim and Todd Saxton. Todd, Kim, how are y'all doing today? Great. It's Monday. The academic year has started again. And so we're full of enthusiasm for helping our students learn all about business. Awesome. Yeah. And it, it, you know, that's uh, a good way to put it, right? It's Monday, school season starting. Uh, the show is probably going to air a couple weeks from now, but it's still going to be right in the meat of <laughs> of the school uh, fall season. So thanks again for being on, guys. And I want to ask you to, to tell us first a little bit about your background. Obviously, we know you're professors, school of business. You've done a lot of things. You're authors. But tell us how you uh, kind of got started. I'll uh, start in, and I'll start with my own uh, first service businesses. So first one was uh, mowing lawns in the neighborhood. Uh, and when it, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, shoveling uh, the walks when it, when it snowed and we had a snow day, that was an opportunity for me to go make some money. Uh, and then transitioned later to a paper route. And, and, and now my service, as you say, is uh, as a professor and, and teaching uh, in between there, but both of us where we met was at a consulting firm that was a service business uh, in the DC area. So uh, much appreciation for uh, service businesses of, of all types and sizes and and what they do to, to keep the world running. Yep. And after about a decade in consulting, we decided maybe it was time to go get some more education. So we went back to get our PhDs in, I'm in marketing and statistics. So a very data-driven approach to marketing. And Todd's is in corporate strategy and entrepreneurship. And we just got involved in the community with a lot of startups, you know, their businesses trying to figure out new things typically. Um, And um, from our consulting background, we also work with a lot of small businesses, um, helping our students do consulting projects. And, you know, that, that, the issues are over very overlapping. How do you grow? How do you attract new customers? How do you determine your product mix or your service mix in order to make those customers happy? Um, and so we see a lot of commonalities between small businesses and startups, although sometimes startups are trying to do something you know very innovative. And so in some ways it's a it's a little harder because the markets aren't as well established. But 
I would say that every, you know, new small business is going through the same sort of evolutionary process. Yeah. Well, and being a professor of marketing, Kim, do you think, do you feel like in the university system, I guess maybe we'll just generalize it and say um, the public university system are, are marketing is the marketing curriculum doing a good job of being extremely relatable to all of the changes in marketing today? I mean, obviously, if I took a marketing class 20 years ago, it'd probably be a lot different from the way it is today, right? Well, I mean, yes, the basics are the same, right? So the fundamentals, uh, how you execute the fundamentals has really changed. And it's actually really hard in a like an intro course. So I teach in our MBA program, sort of the overarching marketing course. It's really hard to cover everything because of how fragmented it's gotten. I mean, it used to be you, if you wanted, you know, to buy an ad, you had like three TV stations <laughs> or the radio or the newspaper, right? And today the world of media is just so complex and fragmented that it's really hard to cover the depth of each of those issues. So instead what we've done in the curriculum is we have multiple classes. So you'll have a class on social media marketing, you'll have a class on digital marketing, you'll have a class on advertising because you just can't get your arms around the whole beast in a single class. Yeah, I bet so. I mean, there's a lot, a lot to cover, especially, you know, I mean, if you need to touch all the areas, you you don't, I guess you don't really know what the student is going to focus on the most. And they kind of need to have a balanced uh, idea of, of it all. Um, yeah. Well, let's one shift. Oh, that, sorry, Kim, go ahead. No, I was gonna say one of the things that I think at least Indiana University tries to do, and I don't know that all schools do this, is we try to have real world projects for our students to work on. So it's not just like, can you learn about how a website, but here is a local small business. How can you fix their website? <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, that's, that's true. It's so true. There's a, a bunch of different ways to there's, there's actually a website. You may have heard of it. Website real estate where you can rent websites. You can, they've already gotten some traction through their SEO and that kind of thing. And it's, a, it's, there's just so much out there. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to ask you too, uh, you help startups navigate through some of their biggest challenges, um, and you use a term which kind of piqued my interest. You use a term called pivoting. Can you explain what pivoting is and how it relates to um, businesses trying to get started? I'm gonna take that one, Todd. Sure, uh, <laughs> and it's a it's a big topic, and and it's interesting if you think about in in my area entrepreneurship how universities and and other folks have. Uh, and, and operationalizing has changed over the last 20, 30 years. So while marketing has changed, uh, how people approach entrepreneurship has changed quite a bit as well uh, and really moved from, you know, kind of the business plan as being the Bible of how you start and operate your business. And, you know, it's a lot of time in a room and searching for information without really interacting with the market. And then about 10, 15 years ago, people started moving toward the lean startup, uh, which is to basically say, you can't do all the planning in advance. You've got to get out there, interact with customers, figure out product market fit, uh, who's going to be the best target for what you're offering, and how do you tweak that? And as you engage in that process, you make mistakes, right? Everybody's going to make mistakes, and, and hopefully you don't fail, um, but you have to learn how to pivot or change direction 
on one of those two dimensions. So, uh, you know, we're from Indiana, so we'll use the the basketball uh, analogy that when you pivot in in basketball, you still have one foot planted, right? Um, so, making sure that you're being intentional about whether you were wrong on the target market, like we've got the service right, we we know what we're offering, but we went out to you know, suburban homeowners, and we really should be targeting uh, rural or urban or, you know, a, a different segment or a, a people who live in apartments. Um, uh, so that would be an example of pivoting on the target market dimension. Or, no, these suburban people really are the target market that we want. But when we first went out with, you know, a lawn service, um, most of them already have something. So we need to pivot into, uh, you know, a slightly different solution or a, a very different solution for that target market. So pivoting is changing direction on in hopefully one of your dimensions uh, of the what you're offering or the, the customer that you're targeting, uh, but doing that intentionally and, and with some hypotheses about uh, where, where you're heading. Well, and there's one more pivot you didn't mention, which is sort of the business model. Like, how do you generate revenue? One of my favorites, uh, years ago, we had some college kids. Uh, we live on the lake. We have a boat. And they would um, they would come out and clean your boat. Well, they figured out after the first summer that just like cleaning it for the first time really didn't make much money. And like everybody wanted it in the same two weeks. Yeah. So instead, what they did is they set up this ongoing biweekly wipe down business. And the way that you got a wipe down slot is you also bought the first slot, right? And so if you sold that package together, it's more value to the customer. And also you can have a manageable client roster and you avoid these onesies that, you know, are a lot of work because you do all the worst part and you don't get the ongoing revenue stream from just touching things up. So I was like, boys, that was really clever. <laughs> yeah, it is, and that is very clever. And I like the uh, the pivoting analogy too with basketball where, you know, it, it reminds me of the quote, like where you, you may want to adjust your, where you, you're going to have to adjust your plans along the way, but don't change the goal. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, there's so many different things that, or unforeseen, uh, but if you've got a way to change things, and, and of course, like you mentioned, Kim, with the with these students, you improvise and create these uh, long time customers with the recurring revenue. That's brilliant, and it solves a problem. It, it generates more business, and that's fantastic. Uh, and I wanted to ask you too because I know that y'all have worked with a lot of physician startups, but now you're you're really working with startups of any industry pretty much so are there some similarities and maybe are there some differences too that you've noticed as you were looking at the physician niche versus some of these other niches um how did you tie those in to each other so the physician ones are interesting because um they're somewhat different and and each i mean we probably work with a couple dozen physicians and almost honestly they're almost all completely different in their approaches um because sometimes in the process of practicing medicine they are able to innovate either a procedure or a device or something and they want to help others you know do a easier better job and sometimes they see a void for market services, you know, so um, maybe there's some new therapies and they're very uh, labor intensive. And so they want to make sure that people have access to them. 
Um, I'm thinking of, you know, things like weight management with, you know, these uh, new injectables um, and some others, um, but, you know, still medically valid. And so they're thinking about how do they set up their service business um, and uh, some, believe it or not, get into something completely different. It has nothing to do with medicine. Uh, one of our physician alums is uh, involved in, you know, a large scale distribution business, <laughs> you know, so logistics, because he has the cash, right? So the cash allows you to then think more creatively about what you want to do. So that's and the, and the business training and the business training. Yeah. So <laughs> I would say that's one thing that's different for, about physicians versus others is they you know, like when we say bootstrap, you know, for most people, it's like, how big is the credit line on my credit card? And with the physicians, you know, four of them get together and they're like, well, we can each put in, you know, $50,000. So now they start with $200,000. It's a lot different than, you know, our MBA students who are you know, doing this on nights and weekends. Some yeah. of the things I, that we see, though, that are very similar. Um, we already talked about product market fit and, and uh, Physicians and, and other entrepreneurs struggle with that. But um, two things that I think we see as recurring themes. One is kind of working in the business versus working on the business. Uh, and I'm not sure if you use that term with your audience, but um, they get so caught up in the doing that they're not taking in time intentionally to kind of sit back and say, where can this go? Am I even happy with the direction it's going now? Uh, do I want to grow this business and, and how do I grow this business? So we recommend, particularly in the early stages, that you take at least half a day a week to kind of step back and, and think about working on uh, the business as a long-term project as opposed to in the business just doing. And, and I think that becomes, uh, for particularly for a successful service business, uh, that's a hard pattern uh, to to establish, but really important for the long-term health of, of the company and to make sure that you're still achieving those goals that, that you talked about, right? Don't change the goals. Don't don't take the, change the overarching objectives. What do you really care about? And is what you're doing today uh, kind of getting you there? Um, the second is a little more tactical, um, but any growing business is facing huge challenges, healthcare and in other areas as well, uh, with just staffing and, and getting people engaged and willing. And what we're seeing is that the companies with a, a strong vision and culture are winning in terms of landing, uh, recruiting people and keeping them uh, and employees of, of all types, sizes, et cetera, um, are, are really looking for a place where they're, they're happy working and they feel like they're contributing to something uh, that they have some meaning um, and and looking for a little more than than just a paycheck. And uh, th that has to be something that you're intentional about too, as as a small business owner. Well, and, and isn't that funny because so many people, uh, they don't, they, either they don't believe it or maybe they just don't think the stats are right, but they, they, everybody thinks at the end of the day, it's only about compensation, right? But it, time and time again, statistics show that these employees, people that, that are looking for work, they want to stay somewhere where they're, you know, valued, where they're, mm -hmm. a good um, there's a good culture. Um, and obviously there's accountability and they feel appreciated. And I mean, it's, it's so true. Yes. Compensation is a big factor, but when you, when you, when you add in what you're talking about too, Todd, and, and also there's, when you mentioned um, making sure the business owners understand the importance of working on the business and not just in the business. If you can get that message across to the business owners 
and and actually get them to absorb that, understand the importance behind that. That's when you really see the growth, right? Um, and so I wanted to ask you too, obviously you got the iceberg in the background. I asked you about that before the show. <laughs> and of course your, your book is a great catchy title in it. And I really want you to dig into it a little bit for us here, but it's called the Titanic effect. Um, can you, can you touch on what this book's about? Sure. So as we have been meeting with, um, uh, entrepreneurs, small business owners, we were hearing the same kinds of problems over and over again. And so you would start to have a conversation. They would, you know, share what's going on. And you'd be like, oh, yes, I've heard this before. <laughs> you know? And so we started making a list and we ended up making a list of the 32 kind of mistakes that we hear most commonly from um, new and small businesses. And then we started like taking this out as a workshop and, you know, we, we get asked to like talk, you know, at, at events all the time. And so we would you know start to share these mistakes. And then we were like, well, we need something interesting that kind of frames this. And um, the idea of these mistakes is that, you know, you have to make mistakes, but when you're making a choice, all you're looking at is the iceberg that's above the water. And what we try to do is flesh out what all is below the water so that um you you know that it's not a permanent fail uh, problem it's a manageable problem and so that's when the icebergs came up and todd said you know oh i know we could call this like the titanic effect and i was like you know we are business school professors we just don't make up things like the titanic effect we have to do some research and we started doing some research and we discovered all the different ways that the titanic effect in effect made the same mistakes that we see with these new and small businesses and so we thought okay well let's just um let's just borrow that and um think about each of these mistakes like how can we flesh out what the whole iceberg looks like and how can we help companies sort of bounce off the iceberg instead of getting a gaping hole in the side that fills with water and drowns everybody. That's, That's really interesting. Go, oh, Todd, go ahead. No, I, the, the uh, and the challenge as, as Kim was saying was that so much of this is kind of hidden. It's below the surface, um, but with some, some coaching and, and some tools, uh, founders, entrepreneurs, uh, business owners can, I think, better recognize and, and to anticipate. And once we had the Titanic and the iceberg, we had to roll with the whole uh, navigation metaphor. And uh, so we, we talk about four different categories that as being the oceans uh, in which these icebergs are, are located. So we've got the human ocean, who are the people you work with, who are your co-founders, uh, potentially investors and others. Uh, the actual market, right? So who are your customers? How do you target and identify them? The technology. And then the strategy ocean is kind of how those different pieces fit together. So it's it's not a perfect metaphor, um, but but it, it works and it was kind of fun to play with. And then, uh, you know, we weave in stories from the Titanic and the White Star Line who built and operated the Titanic and all the little mistakes that they made in, in all of these different oceans along the way that ended up in a, a, obviously a very tragic uh, situation. And so we think of the Titanic effect itself is when not you hit one iceberg, but when the four icebergs that you hit interact with each other and that causes the ca the catastrophic incident. So typically, you know, companies don't go out of business over one thing. Mm -hmm. It's the one thing that 
interacts with the other thing, which interacts with the third thing that, you know, it puts the nail in the coffin, so to speak. <clears throat> That's really, really neat. And it makes a lot of sense. It's relatable. Uh, and it's, you know, something that pretty much everybody's heard of the Titanic, you know, how it happened. And of course, you're really dissecting like how it could have been, been preventable and relates to your business. Um, and I think that's neat too, how you're, I mean, there's probably, I don't really know the science behind massive icebergs, but if you're seeing a few sections of iceberg that are um, above the surface, but they're probably connected underneath. Um, so this is great. And I, I know I ask you another question. Have you gone and visited like the Titanic museums or anything? <laughs> so, you know, as we were writing the book, it was right before the pandemic and we had it in our head, you know, to go and see it um, around then. But then the pandemic hit and we didn't get there. Ironically, we had friends who were there and took all these pictures of the Titanic Museum in Belfast. So I have piles of pictures from there, but we haven't actually uh, been there to see it. But that is on our to-do list. Awesome. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to go when I went to Ireland, I think it was five or six years ago, and they have a museum in Cork, which is yeah. uh, the last place it launched from, right? It, it was its right. last stop before it took off uh, in the Atlantic. So that's really neat. Uh, the book is called The Titanic Effect, and I know I'm. it's on my list. Uh, I guess you can get it on Amazon, right? It can get it anywhere. Um, or if you really like it, you can go to our website, and we'll send you an autograph version with some you know, swag that goes with it. But I'll give you one quick example. Like The reason that the Titanic Museum is in Ireland is because the White Star needed money, and they took on a new investor. And that investor forced them to use a shipyard that was in Ireland. Wow. Okay. <laughs> His nephew ran the shipyard. So relation. <laughs> and that's one of those, you know, within human debt, uh, there are debts associated with taking on investors. And I think that that's another important point for your audience to think about, at, at least in some circles, People feel like to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to go out, you have to raise money, you know, go for eventually venture capital and all of that. But, um, you know, with that come a lot of hidden debts in terms of obligations. Uh, and we see very successful, in our minds, entrepreneurs who never raised a dime externally. So being intentional about whether you even need to raise money and whether that's, you know, to accomplish your goals, what does it take? And don't feel like this external perception of you got to go out and, and raise money uh, should should drive your activity. That's an excellent point. I mean, if you've got a percentage of ownership that you're committed now because you accepted that that capital or whatever, then all of a sudden it, it could change everything. That's great. Um, and so well, we're going to wrap We've seen huh? some of the crazier things where like you took on two investors and together they outrule you. Yeah, how, well, then you don't have a business. It's like we we've had a direct quote which we won't attribute to anybody, but I own forty percent and they each only own thirty percent. So it's like, yeah, but guess what? <laughs> they, you add up there thirty and thirty. Guess <laughs> guess who can make decisions now? Oh, whoops. Yeah, and you and obviously at the very beginning you got to draw that outline. You got to say you know who's going to make the decisions in the shareholder meetings and all that kind of stuff. So. But I love the analogies. I love how it just, you know, it sounds like if, if there's 32 different um, points to be made and how it connects to 
the way your businesses, you know, run and start and you know, especially with a startup. So, well, and Todd and Kim, I appreciate it. You know, I hate to cut it short, but I think uh, this has been an excellent conversation. Um, and I wanted to real quick before we go, I'm going to ask you a quick question just to, because you mentioned basketball, you're in Indiana. So, uh, what, what is you, what is your biggest, are you a fan of like the Pacers or is it definitely just college boss basketball that you're really hooked on? Um, I would say all levels, it, it comes down to really the individuals and, we have uh, had the good fortune to work with or interact with both players and coaches or people on the training staff at both of those organizations. And I find we find when we have that kind of personal connection to anybody who's part of that universe, that uh, that's what really uh, kind of motivates us to go to the games, et cetera. I, you know, I think there are many aspects of professional sports that have kind of gotten out of hand in terms of uh, pay level and, and, you know, some aspects, but like, once you get to, to know even just a couple of the people and you're like, they're regular people and, uh, you know, interesting and, and fun to talk to. So, uh, I would say, yeah, we're not a, we're not, it's not, it's the, the people that drive it for us as opposed to the sport itself. That being said, go Hoosiers always. Oh yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. The NBA, I can't even figure out what's traveling anymore. Right. Is it four <laughs> steps or what? <laughs> so, yeah. There's no anchor foot stays planted. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, this is about pivoting. Right. <laughs> well, but yeah, Kim, and again, we love it when our Hoosiers do well. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, Todd, Kim, I appreciate it. Once again, this has been a lot of fun and very, very insightful. I know people are going to get a lot of good uh, information out of this definitely need to go and get a copy of the Titanic effect. Uh, it's, it's fascinating book. It sounds like I'm going to be reading it. Um, so they are professors at Indiana university authors. Uh, they're business startup experts, doctors, Todd and Kim Saxton. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. And this is going to do it for this episode of the home service, small business spotlight. We'll check y'all next time. Have an excellent week. Arthur Yawn here. Thank you so much for listening to the Home Service Small Business Spotlight. If you are a successful restorer, contractor, or home service provider who would like to be on this program, please visit jointhenestteam.com slash go. If you got something out of this interview, would you also share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the social. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag HSSB Spotlight. I love seeing your posts, love seeing your guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and your reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, jointhenestteam.com slash go, or follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.